Content warning, this episode contains discussion of suicidal ideation. Remember, if you or somebody that you know needs help, you can dial 988 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Seaweed Brain. Today is a very momentous occasion because listener, we will be going through the end of the Tower of Nero. That's right, we are going to be finishing the 15th of 15 books that are meant to chronicle the collective experiences of Percy Jackson and friends through Rick Riordan's understanding of the Greek universe. Stick around. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, there's a lot to get to. So maybe we should dive in. We have the same guests as we did last week because it is the same recording session. Experientially, we are marathoning it to the end over a huge Mm -hmm, section mm -hmm. of the book. It's going really well. Where are we? Still in the tower. Apollo has just woken up. Oh yeah, we're like still in the tower. Oh my God, Nero is gone, but like we still have to deal with Python. That we do. (laughs) Rick said it ain't over yet. Ain't no rest for Apollo, bro. He's getting up, drinking nectar and Mountain Dew and getting on his way. Like That's the true Percy Jackson, the last Olympian treatment. Like that moment he had to rest in the bed for like a hot second Mm -hmm. and have that chit chat with Annabeth. And then he's back into battle. Gotta do it. But uh, to be fair to Percy, he was invulnerable. Percy's just a goddamn superhero in that book. 99% invulnerable. (laughs) Meanwhile, Apollo's over here raggedy ass his clothes cut up he's all cut up this man is not doing good (laughs) he was almost a zombie like two books ago remember um somebody got stabbed in his side he got stabbed he was stabbed by a bunch of thorns when they tackled him he is not okay in this situation he has like three active concussions that's jason grace blessing him from the grave and those concussions better be explaining his behavior because um I would have let this go under any other circumstance, but we just, it would have been two weeks ago, two episodes ago, at the point that we're discussing this. Rachel kisses him on the forehead when she goes off to make preparations. When Nico runs off, Apollo says, quote, Nico dashed off without kissing me on the forehead. That seems innocuous, but listener, know that it is not. Get a listener, job know that predation away from him. is everywhere. He needs to get a job and stay away from her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe that's enough yelling about that, but it doesn't feel like enough. My soul is not satiated <laughs> from that amount of yelling, but we'll have to move on. <laughs> no, like, I feel like this is just Apollo's like narcissism coming out and being like, well, I, w- I wanted to guess from everybody here. <laughs> and that's if, still if not okay. Maybe, maybe I could have a kiss, maybe. <laughs> I agree with Carter. Oh, uh, we go off to have a another chat with Meg. This is the one that made me cry. DJ mentioned in the last episode when he started crying, this moment on was had me just constant tears brimming, like holding it together for the sake of my cat on my lap. This is the follow-up to that descriptive paragraph we got last episode. Meg had thrown away her sandals, braving bare feet despite the arrows, rubble, bones, and discarded blades that littered the floor. Someone had given her an orange Camp Half-Led t-shirt, which she put on over her dress, making her allegiance clear. She still looked older and more sophisticated, but she also looked like my Meg. It's very good. Very good. The bare feet. Mm -hmm. 
the you will not see my shoulders like I am putting on this t-shirt. <laughs> the t-shirt over the dress. I am currently wearing a sweater I got at Disney World. It is a Haunted Mansion sweater that the first time I wore it, I did wear it over a orange bird dress I had been Disney about. Wouldn't you in. know it? She almost didn't get it. I had to convince her to get it. Aww. And aren't you happy you got it, Darian? I'm very happy I got it. Uh, but the I, the satisfaction of wearing a dress down thing, sweater, t-shirt, over a dress is I, I it, the degree of comfort it provides after a stressful, long situation I adore. Not to read too deep into the metaphor, but this is seaweed brain. So her putting the Orange Camp Half-Blood t-shirt on top of the dress, like not changing mm-hmm. all the way, but just throwing that on top of it. It's like, look, I went through this and this trauma yeah. is a part of me. But at the same time, I've moved past it and I'm covering it and like rising out from underneath it with my family, my chosen family, which resides above and beyond that horrible father figure that I was forced to live with. So good. They're trying to figure out a way, um, all of Meg's, you know, step siblings, foster siblings, adopted siblings to where they can go. Um, and mm-hmm. they're all going to go to Camp Half-Blood, which made me smile yeah. and reminded me of really the way that Camp Half-Blood is kind of just like a halfway house slash forever home for at-risk youth. These are kids. These are kids. And and I think yeah. the fact that the campers can go from fighting these the, these enemies, especially the, the, the Imperial family kids, to the Aphrodite campers are like essentially acting as grief counselors to a couple of them and we have a hypnos counselor just like rocking one of these sobbing children in their arms and singing them a lullaby and like offering comfort to who was for five minutes ago their enemies and not looking for payment or or you owe us this because of this or you are a prisoner because of this just the fight is over you're wounded we can take care of you and it's something that you don't see in adults but you find that compassion in kids so easily I have to agree. Thank you for highlighting that, Darian, Um, especially when we're talking about like how people can change, if people can change at any age, you know, like, is there hope for these kids? There obviously is. There's another quote here. All any of us could do was try and hope that in the end, the virtuous cycle would break the vicious one. Very strong. I feel like if more people had read Trials of Apollo, that would be a more popular Riordan verse quote. No, for (laughs) real. There's so much People didn't read Apollo because they didn't like Apollo, which I think you will well <laughs> that is not a money back guarantee but i hope that they will yeah <laughs> i think they will okay <laughs> i didn't like apollo going into it i love apollo now he's my favorite uh rick riordan protagonist whoa wow i still don't like apollo but i do feel like this was a worthwhile experience um <laughs> i feel like i know apollo and i will take that over liking him any day I think that's all valid. That's very profound. There's a quick paragraph here about, again, Apollo just observing Meg and how she's grown up. We don't have to read it, but I wanted to shout out older siblings, Carter and Darian here. Um, (laughs) Did you relate to this? Like, did you feel it in your heart? Yeah, it... Me, I'm the oldest sibling, but me and my siblings are so close in age for the most part. And we went through a lot of not super fun family stuff during those moments of our adolescence when you would have started to like cite those moments of like my brothers, my little brothers growing up. Like we missed that a lot. But for, I guess me having 
done muses with DJ for the past two going on three years and having lived with him for the past year, I have felt that a lot of like, oh, hey, that's my little brother being a grown up, being an adult, like stepping into this role. And it's really cool and it's bittersweet. And so, yeah, those moments of like Meg and Apollo as siblings hit me really hard sometimes. That's so beautiful. Yeah, I agree. Oh, who said this thing? Was this you, Carter? Barbarian lore? Oh, yes. I'm going to read a quick quote. A few sported, a few, that is barbarians, quote unquote, sported injuries that should have made them crumble to ash, but they were no longer creatures of Nero, bound to the living world by his power. They were just humans again, like Lugosella. As far as I know, this is the only in-universe conversation about <laughs> the the um, potential for these Gauls and Germani to be uh, humans as opposed to monsters. And I guess it is good that Rick has included this in-universe description about how um, nothing about the ethnicity of, of being um, German or French means that you will become a dust monster, but... Uh, um, this was the passage I was referring to in the last episode of my theory of I don't know if Erica's going to keep this in or not you dust if you are immortal but can die and this is the thing when these when Apollo mentions hey they have injuries that should have dusted them but they're not anymore because they're not immortal anymore they can heal from these wounds I totally know what you mean this makes sense to me I want to know why Lou Guzelwal didn't dust when getting her hands cut off like we've seen guys and monsters take much less damage that is a really good point. She's just like, made a stronger stuff. Oh no. Oh, you stabbed Built me in different. the arm and I dust, <laughs> bro. And then like you can cut her arm hands. First of all, if she were to have dusted before giving up her thing, would she have her hands back? Listen. What happens there? She had Meg to live for. This is true, but I like I don't I don't know. It's your dusting rules, you're nice and muddy no. to them now. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. No, it's a complete and total mess. <laughs> Nothing makes sense here. I'm desperately grasping for straws. We should call Owen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my main takeaway from this conversation was that he was noting that this is going to be the last time the two of them talk before he either dies or becomes a god again. And that is an explicit thing where he's like, it's not just that I might not see her again. It's that if I see her again, it is going to be under really different circumstances. And he's expressing some fear and um bittersweetness about that um and i i found that to be interesting that he is expressing something that is a little bit more of the generalizing that we've been seeing about how he's afraid that becoming a god is going to fundamentally change him again and that he didn't like the person that he used to be but i think there's also something specific that he's highlighting here that is relational like saying when i'm a god it's not just i fear that i will be a different person but that it will be different to be with meg even like immediately after because, you know, like the power dynamics between the two of us are different and the, you know, dynamic shaping or interactions are going to be different because I'll also be like in all these other places at the same time and like I'll be able to experience things that you cannot experience. And yeah, I don't know. I, I just found it to be interesting and, and a little bit more um, specific and sentimental than I was expecting from this passage. Yeah. It's yeah. like him going to college or Meg getting married and leaving Joe behind. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's a good, yeah, I like that analogy. This leads us into Apollo running into Chiron by mm -hmm. the elevators. And Apollo is like, hey, uh, thanks for rescuing me um, by bringing all of Camp Half-Blood here. And Chiron says, we all have a duty to rescue each other. Wouldn't you say? Hmm. And Apollo is like, so how was that joint task force thing you had going on with like the severed cat head? And Chiron says, quote, a severed head and a cat. Two different uh, people. 
acquaintances of mine from other pantheons. We were discussing a mutual problem. I want to know what this fucking problem is. Oh, no. Rick Riordan and the multiverse of climate change. What's the problem I that spans all the Greek, Roman, Norse, and Egyptian? Like, what is that fucking problem? Carter nailed it. It's climate change. Or it's that no one believes in them anymore and they're all fading. They're either fighting climate change or Jesus. Or yeah, Jesus. It's, it's just a biblical apocalypse upon them. Oh, I love how Rick Ryder was like, yeah, this is going to be the last book I write. I can't have Flint stories. It's, it's been great. He and then the like end, five... he just litters it with like, what's going with Nico? What's going with the Hunters? What's going with Piper? What's going with I mean, we'll all that? Not way. even, yeah, there are like, Three or four different places where he would easily, like, you would, he would point to one sentence and be like, that was where we see that there was going to be this other book. There are many of them. It's not oh, just yeah. send the Star. We're going to talk about the rest of them. Oh, yeah, it's nuts. It's so insane. much he just nonsense. like, here's five open plot threads. In the past, maybe I've had two in the last book, but mm-hmm. here's five now. Okay? And he's explicitly having the conversations just to open the plot threads. Like, Kyrie did not need to be here other than to remind you for the fourth time that this mm-hmm. is an ongoing open plot thread. <laughs> Job security. Job security. I'm going to briefly shout out, I think Kyron was a good teacher and camp leader in this siege on the tower. I think he did a yes. good job with the new campers. I think he gave them good... Raise that sword higher, honey. Ben, watch out. Like, I'm really pleased with Kyron's performance here. I agree. Darian... You weren't here when I, I think I said this, but it reminded me of when Squidward found out SpongeBob was going to die. Wait, are you a SpongeBob person? I am familiar with the works of Sponge, Bob, yes. There was an episode where Squidward was like, oh my God, SpongeBob is going to die when the sun sets today. So I'm just going to- fed him an exploding pie. Because they fed him an exploding pie. So I'm just going to take him around Bikini Bottom and like do all of his favorite things. And that was like Chiron leading the campers- the 12-year-old campers into battle, <laughs> lying to them completely about the stakes and no, what was no, going no, on. will come back. It'll be fine. Imagine if the gas had gone off and everyone's just like around kind of like, you lied to us. Oh, yeah. That would have uh, not been a great ending. It's fine. No, it's fine. Don't make me sad. It worked out. The troglodytes got it. And this is where, after saying adieu to Chiron and the Riot Inverse of Madness, we take the stairs all the way down. Oh, Riot Inverse to- of Radness. All the way down to the edge of hell, question mark? Someone take it from here. So no, he goes into the the labyrinth. Like, that's the... Is that a labyrinth? labyrinth, The labyrinth is no longer moving and shifting. It's just open for easily traversal. Because he goes down into the stairs and then it evens out and suddenly he's in Delphi. That's because that's where python is hanging out inside the cave of delphi so yeah it's the labyrinth the labyrinth never closed after the burning maze it's been open and that's how like nero has been like moving around and moving his troops so quickly it's just open now it's no longer shifting no longer trying to trick people to stay in it it's literally just open and probably can be mapped and i'm excited to see if he wants to do anything with that but yeah he just Mm. winds up at delphi Face to face with Python. <laughs> He's enjoying a little snicky snack. Yes. A little Emperor Nero snicky snack. He's got his eyes closed and he is just consuming that dust through his skin, through osmosis. When we get into that like Python cave, Rick says that the floor stretched for several football fields, which instantly took me back to the House of Hades because I very distinctly remember there being a cavern or like an area of the size of Manhattan. Rick was like, 
Yeah, of several football oh, fields yeah. or yeah, the size of Manhattan. It's just like oh, when they're falling, it's, it's that it's seven that, foot it's tall, that easy like oh, grab. Everybody knows how long a football field is. Exactly, a hundred yards. Every American knows exactly what that looks like because we've all seen football. Here's several football fields. Exactly. Also, like middle schoolers, there's the football field at the middle school. Middle schoolers have had oh, yeah. to run on the track around it. Like that's a space they're intimately familiar with. Okay, so there is a villain. Interaction with Python. We have to add Python to our list of like big bads in the series. Mm -hmm. We talked a lot about Arachne when she showed up. We talked a lot about Orion. We've now talked much about Nero. There's some description of Python. The gist of it is that we are to understand him as a primordial force of chaos and evil in a way that is a little bit generic. And to the extent that it's not generic, is very similar to what you might have read in, say, the third book of the Cain Chronicles, because Egyptian mythology very famously features a giant snake that is the embodiment of all chaos that is in an internal struggle against um, <laughs> serpent the serpent's shadow, the titular serpent. All of which is to say, like, I think Python is like weirdly not a very interesting choice for this final battle. There, there are some resonances that we're going to get about fate and about destiny and commitments and stuff, but Python is a figure with its own lore and its own baggage that it's bringing in. I think is not necessarily commenting directly on that many of the themes that we've been talking about in, in the uh, mm -hmm. rest of the series. And on that, I mean, I wrote in my book, I was like, I have no stakes in this fight. Like, whatever goes down with Apollo and Python is fine by me. But <laughs> I got stakes in the fight. I want to see Apollo succeed, damn it. I want to see him succeed. I want to see him become a god again. I want to see him have growth. And that is what happens mm -hmm. because I do feel like this kind of like fight between Python and Apollo goes by pretty quickly almost. Like to me, I felt like it was done as quickly as it needed to be done. Mm -hmm. Yes. I, I don't think it overstayed its welcome at all. Yeah. yeah. It feels like Python is boring because Nero, we just did Nero and Nero had the stakes built up as the villain so intimately for the whole series that that final altercation felt satisfying and it, we knew why we were here. But Nero was like Meg's personal end big bad at the end of her journey to to come face to face with and figure out how to overcome. And Python is supposed to be Apollo's dating back to this like ancient enemy of his when he first fought Python and took over the, the Oracle at Delphi and, and did all these things. But he's just been a scary voice under the bed we understand it would be bad if Python won, but I feel like the series as a whole ultimately kind of failed to demonstrate why that would be bad. Well, if there's no control over the prophecies, nothing happens anymore. What does that mean? What does that look like? Like we get some stuff later on about like what would have happened, what it actually meant that even Apollo doesn't understand at this moment. But the most intimate thing we've seen is when Rachel was forced to deliver a Python prophecy and how utterly painful and horrifying that was for her to experience. Yeah. Yes. Personal stakes are lacking. I'll here. definitely, I'll definitely agree with that. As much as I like this fight, this fight is, I think, is a very good peak fight. Mm -hmm. Very good, like pinnacle. I think the descriptions that he uses throughout it, very strong. The struggle when they're falling to Tartarus is amazing. I think mechanically it works. Yeah, yeah. But I also 100% agree that it was not built at all. <laughs> Mm -hmm. essentially what we heard from python was at the start hey go fix the oracle of delphi because it's broken and that was apollo's goal throughout this whole thing but in order to do that he had to get a prophecy so he had to get all the different oracles all fixed so that he could finally get to it's just a check mark 
it's it, what it feels it, like at the end. It's yeah, a check mark. at this, like at the very end, it really is like, oh, Python's the one pulling the strings. Honestly, but it's I like, feel like Styx's appearance later on is more like thematically satisfying oh, for me 100%. than Python. Oh yeah, yeah, no, Should I we super get there? agree with that. Does yeah. someone want to kind of like? Should we I'll run, run through? I'll, sort I'll of. Run through the, I'll run through the fight because I love. It. DJ loved this fight so much. He finished the books before I did, and. He wanted to tell me so much about this one. This is one of DJ's favorite things in the it's series. Very, anything Rick has ever written, it's it's I, a I fight genuinely think that this, this fight is just cool, right? You have this like 15-year-old guy fighting against something essentially unimaginably large, especially like a snake that's so tall when it just like lifts up its head, it's 40 feet above him. Like that's absolutely insane to me. And for just him to be like, trying his best damn it okay he like he's missed all his shots and then he hides and you got the eridodona being like you gotta if do with a better if shit like that right oh. and then he runs out and starts just banging it this is this is a man gone fucking nuts okay he has half of a prophecy about him that half is apollo will fall and now he's like hitting him with a ukulele after three strikes it breaks then he gets grabbed and starts to get crushed the era of dodona just like he's like use me you heard half of the prophecy, but you have not heard the other half. And it's, it's like Apollo will fall, but Apollo will rise again. And then he gets jammed up to the feathers into Python's eye. But Apollo doesn't want to do it. He yep. realizes there, I was like, use me. And he's like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to give into essentially the whole thing with Nero saying you've used and abused people. And like, this mm -hmm. is the last person, his last companion. He doesn't want to just use and abuse it, essentially. Mm -hmm. But the arrow's like, no, you got it. You got it. I this mean, is how this is weapon. how it goes. He does it, and then he grabs and drags Python off the edge. Fifteen-year-old boy ass drags this big, fucking two hundred foot long serpent. Big fuck off snake, if you big will. Big fuck off snake off the edge, and they just tumble, and they're constantly banging against each other, banging against walls, just at battle for nine days. Essentially, they finally fall into Tartarus, and then they fall even further. They fall through Ur Erebus, they fall through Tartarus, they fall all the way to chaos, the edge of oblivion, the primordial soup that everything has come from. And Apollo just like feels himself being like dr dragged in unraveled. and erased, unraveled and erased from just everything. I love the visuals of this, the, the gold lines and the pulsing purple light just feels like a Jack Kirby drawn comic where everything's gotten a little bit, we're writing on cocaine now. Yeah. And Python doesn't want to give up. He still goes in for the tussle and ends up getting flung off the side. Apollo's hanging on and then Styx shows up. If somebody wants to take it from here. That was so well done. Oh my God. I thank you. I love DJ. it. That scene is killer, bro. I think about it like that was once a really a good week, summary. At least. I really like it when Rick gets into sort of more ethereal, complicated, messy mythological yeah. areas oh yeah where it's great. we're falling into chaos and all of a sudden on page 350 apollo is like we could just sit on this obsidian spire and quietly crumble together python could cuddle against me look out over the vast expanse of chaos and mutter it's beautiful then evaporate into nothingness <laughs> but nope he wants nope. to fight but he wants to fight, yeah. Python chose violence and fight. I love it when Rick Ryden gets to play with the fact that he's writing about 
gods and magic and metaphysical indescribable nonsense and just gets to really flex those creative writing muscles absolutely i also love anything that takes place in a void i love Mm -hmm. a void i love like an area of nothingness i'm Mm -hmm. talking about janet's void in uh love the good place i'm talking about the rock dimension and everything everywhere all at once did you all know that michelle yo is responsible for uh, making that scene silent the daniels just gave a new interview today where they said that that's amazing she's amazing honestly i want to talk about the sticks but i'm also like oh my god can we all have a moment of silence for the arrow of dona guys oh that really broke my heart i actually love that thing we're gonna read one more quick quote about this go for it (laughs) carter apollo says i saw jason's face i saw heloise crest moneymaker don the fawn dakota and what is he talking about? He's talking about looking at the arrow of Dodona before he's deciding whether or not to use it to put out Python's eye. That is both kind of absurd and disrespectful to these like human people, but also like, no, the arrow of Dodona, it has an identity, it has thoughts, it has a memory, it has a past, and it deserves to be recognized. And this is a loss that we are mourning. Mm-hmm. Absolutely is. I like genuinely, the moment he was given, like, this character's gonna be great. <laughs> this character's rad as fuck. I'm super excited for this Shakespearean ass stick to be talking smack. I'm excited for this. And I was right. That shit was awesome. He died a hero's death. I think the last he thing did. he says is, fare thee well, friend. Apollo will fall, but Apollo must rise again. I like that the Arrow of Dodona gets to deliver the last line of the prophecies. And right before, I think it's right before they jump off into their long fall into chaos. Mm-hmm. Apollo says to himself, I had to keep going for the arrow of Dodona. I had to keep going. Very strong. I love it. I do not have a Percy Jackson tattoo. If I were to get a Percy Jackson tattoo, it would say I had to keep going in American <sighs> typewriter font. <laughs> oh, it's got to be American <laughs> typewriter font. Obviously. I think it's time for sticks. Let's talk about the sticks. So essentially you've got sticks and Apollo's like hanging on by his fingertips. Like he's on like the worst cramp rock you ever did find. He just did a 513th free soloed that shit. I was going to say he free soloed that shit. (laughs) He absolutely sent it. Reverse free soloed and he is about to just, he's losing his strength. He can't keep hanging on. That's when she shows up and he's like, oh great. You're here to punish me because I broke an oath and you've just been dogging me the whole time. And of course, sticks is down here because she represents hatred. (laughs) <laughs> and quote, hatred is one of the most durable emotions, one of the last to fade into non-existence. Haters, you will never die. <laughs> you may die, but your hatred will live forever. Will live on forever. And I think that's beautiful. I am delighted that we get to see sticks because we've like, oh, swear on the river sticks. Like we from the first book get this concept of the river sticks and the oath the gods swear. And that's what it does. But actually being reminded like, oh, no, these rivers have gods and goddesses associated with them and Styx is actually a goddess and I'm just delighted that we finally got to see her I wish we could have hung out with her more I wish she could be more present maybe we'll get her in uh, the sun and the star maybe the real Styx was the Carter we had on the podcast (laughs) along the way yes I think that is accurate in terms of hatred (laughs) yes This interaction maybe leaves the lore question open where like maybe maybe O's on the River Six actually don't mean anything other than their social meaning. And like that's also fine. Mm-hmm. That really it's like a placebo. Works for me. Yeah. Yeah. Or you know, it's 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 like money. And, and that's what she's trying to emphasize in this conversation, right? She's trying just trying to be like, oh, like you you know, like when you say things, they should mean something. And it's important mm-hmm. to have ties and that your words are ties 
to other people and you should try to honor those commitments and those relationships. And that that, that works. Yeah, I think it goes into like something I, I think I mentioned in the last episode regarding the gods being able to speak things into existence, essentially this like true power. And that's like a lesson the gods just don't like these Olympian gods, these deities we're dealing with in the series just don't care about or take seriously because they're is no retribution for them there is no punishment like mm-hmm. zeus poseidon hades swore this like super binding oath on the river sticks not to have kids and then what happened to them when when hades not hades hades didn't break it famously zeus and poseidon <laughs> broke it and what happened to them absolutely nothing their word uh, their children need any- went through hardship right right their children went through hardship <laughs> But the children aren't the ones that broke the oath. Shall we read a, a related quote? Yes. <laughs> Perhaps that was what Styx had been trying to teach me. It wasn't about how loudly you swore your oath or what sacred words you used. It was about whether or not you meant it and whether your promise was worth making. Hold on, I told myself, to both the rock and the lesson. That line gets me. Hold on to the rock and the lesson? Rock-based media is very important. The rock as a symbol, (laughs) as something for humans to understand themselves in relation to, very underrated. I think that we'll be seeing Mm -hmm. more of it now, but so impactful. That should really be like the bio for your climbing account. My my climbing account is really just like my Instagram account. I'm not a part of that old one anymore. But uh, like honestly, if you were to get a Percy Jackson tattoo, like that should be the one. Hold on to the rock. rock Actually, really good. Yeah, I really should just do another uh, account on Instagram and just make it my rock climbing account, and and it's that. That's very good, Erica. Thank you. My favorite portion of this is the description of the sticks that says, "quote She looked like a satisfied piano teacher whose six-year-old pupil had finally mastered Twinkle Twinkle Little Star." And I have nothing else to say about that other than that's real as fuck. And that's how you use a a fucking simile. I know exactly what he means. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. After this visit from the sticks, Apollo is contemplating, you know, disappearing into nothingness as we all contemplate. But he realizes that he must learn his lesson, which is ultimately to keep his word. And Mm -hmm. he gave a promise. Would you like to read the quote, Carter, on page 354? Why couldn't I let go then? I kept clinging to the edge with stubborn determination. My wayward pinky found its grip again. I had promised Meg I would return to her. I hadn't sworn it as an oath, but that didn't matter. If I said I would do it, I had to follow through. This is both a conversation about follow through, but also, like, lest we lose the thread of this, the follow through he's talking about is also not dying. This is a conversation mm-hmm. about whether or not to commit suicide, you know, as people in the past have described as being like the only relevant decision that you ever make. Camus? Camus, Albert Camus. Yeah, la- far be it for me to reference a French person. But yeah, he popped off with that one. And it's true. This passage is very affecting because of that framing where he's, it's a serious conversation about whether or not Apollo is going to continue to exist. And his conclusion is that he should continue to exist because he owes things to people. And that's very important. Rick really did read the plague, eh? <laughs> yeah. Apollo said, I have work to do and obligations. What well, we owe each other. Also that, yes. <laughs> Wow. Do we have anything else to say about that? Or is it time to to go to um, godliness again? Absolutely. Oh, wow. He really does kind of like just jump into godliness right after that, huh? He pulls Mm -hmm. himself up and he passes out for two, three weeks. Yeah. Two weeks, Artemis says. Yeah. And he just is a god again. I rose with a sob and hugged her tight, her here being Artemis, not Meg. Mm -hmm. All my pain was gone. 
I felt perfect. I felt, I almost thought, like myself again. But I wasn't sure what that even meant anymore. And I thought, oh, Apollo, have you ever heard of the ship of Theseus? Oh, no! <laughs> Are you really Apollo? Samuel Vieira cackling. Samuel Vieira was our high school European history through philosophy teacher, which is, Amazing. again, why we don't know European history. Shout out to you, Samuel Vieira. King. And we'd rather not know. That was said uh, with a positive connotation. Yeah, I would have rather watched <laughs> The Matrix over four class periods. You were so right for that, Samuel. <laughs> I love hearing about your life. <laughs> yeah, we're back on Olympus, y'all. And I was reading this Woo! terrified. I was so nervous. I was like, what's going to happen? Like, mm-hmm, I totally mm-hmm. was like, wow, what if Rick pulls a full gotcha? And is like, and then Apollo became an asshole again. Honestly, <laughs> no, honestly. So ever since I started reading Percy Jackson in like eighth grade, I read every book right when it came out, like was on top of it throughout my whole college i have a full-time job i'm a grown-up working in an office life was reading these all i read hidden oracle and i read dark prophecy and i bought uh burning maze the day it came out and i just couldn't and not even because i wasn't having fun or i didn't like the books i just was fundamentally dreading the idea that Apollo, because I could see the arc. I've read Artemis Fowl. I know what we're doing here. He's going to become a better person as a human. But when he becomes a god, is he going to revert back? And I was so fundamentally like dreading that yeah. level of deep disappointment. Humans can change, but gods can't. That that is what I didn't read the rest of them. Like I was like, I can't deal with that. Yeah. And like DJ Darian... had to tell me, don't worry, it's fine to get yeah. me to finally read them. Darian's big thing was that gods are the way they are because their stories have been told already. So mm-hmm. they haven't had any more stories. And mm-hmm. I made the argument, well, this is just another one of Apollo's story. So he will get changed from this story. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He'll get changed by this story. Even when he becomes a god again, he won't revert because this is a new story for Apollo. This is yeah. a He's written writing story. his own destiny exactly. by living it. It's amazing super oh, yeah. fun and yeah so when i got to them like yeah, he doesn't revert don't worry yeah like, okay okay and then i could get back in but also there are still things that make me sad we'll get to it real real but i was glad that artemis was there it's his sister i'm a big sister this thing got me <laughs> absolutely we're like kind of wandering around olympus and apollo is looking around apollo's like conventions of gender were strange but i decided that was a mystery for another time artemis like dresses him as a huntress as a hunter of artemis yeah and she's like oh haha and he's like oh haha but is it should i keep wearing this yeah but am i slaying (laughs) and he's walking around walking around he says i found myself questioning many things i had done over the centuries strangely enough this uneasiness felt somewhat reassuring and this is you know Maybe Rick wouldn't hate Seaweed Brain Podcast. Maybe maybe Rick <laughs> understands what we're trying to do here. Being critical of our own past, sitting in uneasiness, being in that uncomfortable space. These are all important, important tasks. They reassure us. Yeah, big time. He says, I had no desire to be here in Olympus, my home that was not a home. And he decides what he must do, though he cannot stay at Camp Athlet, is that he must go and visit. And first he has to go and show face at the Council of the Gods. Hmm. Has anyone here read Cersei? Yeah. This portion just reminded me of the first part of Cersei where she's kind of like walking around these like huge, huge halls in the palace of her grandfather and just feeling so out of place and questioning everything Mm. and being Mm. like, what am I doing here? And like, who are these people? (laughs) Why do I not feel connected to godhood in this way? I want to be where the 
people are. <laughs> so we go to the throne room. Yeah, we have an actual godly council this time with Apollo present. There are a number of things that happen here. I think we can just kind of, you know, grab bag um, a la carte these things. There's some stuff from Apollo about how the throne room is dumb and pretentious. And like, it's weird that the gods choose to make themselves gigantic when all visitors will not be that size and that it's oh, pretentious. Washington, D.C. very much. Ooh. Oh. Um, where we sort of like go through the gods one by one. Apollo gives us some interesting dialogue about Zeus, where he's like, actually, let's interrogate the relationship we all have with Zeus and is a little bit more specific about it. One of the quotes is Zeus worked in mysterious ways. We couldn't always know his plan. And that was probably because he didn't have a plan. That, um, you cannot say mysterious ways and have that not be read as an at for some people. And I think that he was really real for that. Um, <laughs> there's one other thing that he says about Zeus at the end, which is like also like something that we've been circling around, which is this idea that, quote, as much as we presented to be a council of 12, in truth, we were a tyranny. Zeus was less a benevolent father and more an iron-fisted leader with the biggest weapons and the ability to strip us of our immortality if we offended him. This is true. This is like mechanically true. This comes up a lot in like the original Greek myths and maybe less in the descriptions that Rick has given in the earlier books mm -hmm. of the council, which is that Zeus really just does whatever he wants and is like in many ways seen as the source of the power for a lot of these other gods. Does anyone else have any particular thoughts about this? I, I think it is not an accident that Apollo, especially in this book, compared Nero and Zeus so often and Meg's struggle with Nero, with his own struggle. And that is why I'm very distressed by how the rest of this scene plays out. <laughs> when Zeus tells Apollo, like, you've done me proud, and Apollo has a moment and takes stock and is like, hmm, quote, my heart did not melt. I did not feel that this was a warm and fuzzy reconciliation with my father. Let's be honest. Some fathers don't deserve that. Some aren't capable of it. Mm -hmm. Wow. I want to give a quick shout out to a video essay that is going to be dispersed somehow TBD. And I'm forgetting the YouTuber's name. But I feel like I've spread the gospel of this to a, a good number of people. There's a comparative analysis of Avatar The Last Airbender, Steven Universe. Um, oh my God, Shira, And what is the last one? What Adventure is the last time? thing that goes in the set? It's not Adventure the Time. Owl House? It is not the Owl House. Uh, Gravity uh, Falls? Phineas and Ferb. A Hasbin Hotel. Ooh, Star versus the Forces of Evil. Is Star, Star versus, versus the Forces of Evil. Evil. That's absolutely the Yay! last one. Yes. And the linking theme, of course, is that all of these are examinations of empire in children's media. And she was saying mm -hmm. mostly, like, specifically the section that I want to flag here is that when she talks about Steven Universe and the critiques that the show has gotten for leaning very heavily into reconciliation when the diamonds are arguably, and like almost certainly, I shouldn't say arguably, when the diamonds are almost certainly like very violent fascists, like the mm -hmm. argument that she makes is that it gets confusing and that the interpretation is not that easy because Steven Universe is a show in which the diamonds are both Steven's oppressors and his family. Um, mm -hmm. And that, you know, like as a reader, particularly as a child, it can be difficult to disentangle these things, and like the idea that there is no special relationship for you to use to amend things and to make a relationship better and to make people better is not is something that might map on well to fascism, but does not map on well if the fascists are your family members and there are additional like 
considerations around what behavior of theirs you can change realistically and what you owe to them and what they owe to you, right? And I think that that is kind of what we're running into here in this conversation with Zeus, where Apollo is simultaneously being like, I understand broader things about the nature of mortality and the relationships that the gods have to the world and those things being problematic. And he also has that other level of being like the person who is solely responsible for all of these things is also somebody who I have a personal relationship with. And that personal relationship is like weird and complicated and has different dynamics to it than the dynamics that you would normally have with a person who is responsible for like the injustices of the social order of the world. You know, and I, I think that that's like maybe a tension that is not very cleanly resolved in the scene and maybe it doesn't have to be but to me like when i was reading this that was what i was thinking of that those two threads are getting really like tangled up together in a way mm -hmm. that is not like disentangled carter what is the youtuber's name yeah carter what's this about oh, crazy um Shira, if you can't um, find it right now we'll definitely have Avatar. it linked in the show notes a, a critique i got i got i'll agree with the critiques of like oh everyone's always being redeemed i just want one evil unredeemable bastard from steven universe that he genuinely has to deal with and i haven't seen future maybe jasper was that in no. her future shit no 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 not, it's not no. jasper this is a show about redemption. there are some people that steven ends up not reconciling with but they're not ever depicted as evil they're depicted as they're people annoying. who Steven personally will never have a good relationship with that's not what i want <laughs> yeah Oh my god! I I can I will find this video essay. Sorry, we can move on. I will find this video essay. Hunter will find it. it and we'll link it in the show notes because I want to watch it. Yeah, me too. Sounds like fun. I dislike the fact and disagree with the fact that Apollo remains part of the Olympian Council. That is my biggest problem Period. with Trials of Apollo. Absolutely, Carter. I believe everything you just said <laughs> makes total sense and is an excellent like take in the nuance of like when you hash this, but also it's your family and that gets too messy. And I don't think that was uh, Ryan's take. I think it was a fundamental fear at making this world truly his own. Yeah, I think that's right. Changing the structure of Greek mythology. And it feels like it was a last minute decision or change because it felt like earlier in the book that is what we were building to when they're at camp Hathlon for the last time and apollo is looking at meg and thinking about everything she's gone through and how should we have to go back to the tower and how that's hard for her and how is she going to be able to like hold on to this change when she is in that space that made her so that warped her and hurt her so badly and made her that other person and apollo's like will i be able to like keep my change keep my promise to jason remember what it's like to be human when i'm surrounded by gods who are just as selfish and just as self-serving as i was before and i was like oh you're gonna leave like you can't you're not gonna not be a god anymore but like not part of the olympians not sitting on mount olympus not in that council like you have to separate yourself from that and then he just does it and i get like he's not gonna like roll up there and embarrass zeus and like cuss him out as he says zeus could just snap his fingers and like strip away his immortality and then drop him in a volcano this time yeah but it bummed me out that i felt like we went through all this and nothing changed again we went through everything in heroes of olympus and at the end nothing had really changed again at the end of percy jackson there was a major status quo shift percy looked at the gods and said uh pay your damn child support claim your kids give the other gods yeah. temple uh, cabins like things of this world will change now and in this one it made sense for it to shift dramatically apollo leaves the olympians whatever he does after that i don't know that's up to rick he's the writer it's his character but him staying feels like a betrayal to 
this idea that you have to get away from abusive situations, that you need the strength to do it. And it felt like Apollo just didn't at the end. Yeah. This just really goes to show what a badass Percy Jackson is at age 12. <laughs> that he stood in the Council of the Gods where Apollo stands right now, having been offered immortality by Zeus himself and said literally F you, you effing a-hole. Word for word. And that's then, a direct quote. Go check the book. Age of there. 12. And right now, Apollo <laughs> can't stand here and give up his own immortality. And I, I don't think, me personally, I don't think Apollo necessarily had to give up his immortality because I feel like he is in a better position to do more for the people he loves yeah. as a god with that power. But maybe be like, totally. hey, I'm actually going to roll back down. I'm going to be the head counselor at Camp Half-Blood. Hello, I'm Lester Papadopoulos. Now I'm 24. Like, I'm yeah. going to take care and be proactive. I don't have to, because he sat there, he fainted there and watched these beings gamble. He even finds out that Athena was betting on whether or not he would live or die. Like, she well, wasn't Athena sitting there. Athena was betting on in his yes, but, then, but he, she still bet. It's still a gamble. It's still treating his plights like a game to win or lose for her enjoyment. For me, it felt like stating that Athena was part of the gamble put her on the same level as all those other ones. So even though she wasn't the one talking mm. about like, oh, he's already dead, let's replace him. But she's just as ultimately selfish and self-serving as all of the rest of them. Like none of them can change. Counterpoint, Darian. I would absolutely bet on yours, Jared's, or Johnny's. I would bet in your favor every time <laughs> if I had the chance. That's different. Aww. How is that different? Because How is that different? I, I understand the perspective as like an emotional truth thing that like probably the, the, the felt impact of Athena betting on this is that it is calculating and um, not respectful. I feel like she probably would not understand that perspective. Because she's a god. <laughs> the last time I was on the podcast, I maybe made a comment about how uh, Magnus Chase was wrong to compare Scott Pilgrim and the Sandman uh, comics as they are not comparable, <laughs> as they are not both weird and fabulous. Um, I'd like to formally retract that statement. That was wrong. <laughs> the Scott Pilgrim graphic novel series is fabulously wonderful and absolutely worthy of being compared to Neil Gaiman's The Sandman. We love change. <laughs> I had been thinking of the movie. I actually reread the graphic novel since then, and they kick ass. They are very fun. Yeah. The graphic novel holds up to this day. The reason I bring it up is because now I'm going to talk about the Sandman. Specifically <laughs> because one of my favorite characters in all of fiction is Neil Gaiman's portrayal of death in the Sandman. Death of the Endless. Oh, very good. Played by Kirby Helbatiste in the Netflix series, who is very Period. good. Yeah, she is. <laughs> Love it so much. But the thing I like most about death is that She's very fun. Besides, she's a fun character to read about. Part of her concept as a character is that she talks to Morpheus about how many, many years, many, many, many years ago when she was death, she was so apathetic. She was so detached. Like, it, all things end. Life is mm -hmm. whatever. Was just sullen and was the last thing any living being would encounter was her. And one point, some mortals that she went to escort to the afterlife looked at her and said how would you like it and so she really thought that's a heart and then now every hundred years death spends one single day alive and mortal and experiences a full life and then her own death and she talks about how the first time she did that when she came to collect her her mortal self essentially this new, mortal version of her looked at her and said called her just a cold fucking heartless bitch and she changed after that she having that experience, having experienced a day as a mortal changed her in a way that being a thousands of eons as this 
unchanging being could never have done. And I think that's why I like Trials of Apollo so much because it does that one line in five books very fun. That's it. That's why I think like none of the gods are going to change because they can't. And that's why I love Cersei so much. But what does Cersei do at the end of Cersei? Spoiler, not this. Uh, <laughs> not not this. to spoil it, but it's not this. This is not the choice that <laughs> Cersei makes at the end of Cersei by Madeline Miller. Um, shall we go to see the kids? Let's go see the kids. There's one quick moment that I want to shout out, which is that Demeter still does not slay. Uh, and ah, that's a little oh, stupid. Um, Apollo really said, Meg, you're not like the other girls. You're cool, but I don't know. Your mom is just so lame. And I'm I, so sorry oh, your mom I, is who she is. Yeah, that's the quote. I would love to shout out the Hera line because after mm-hmm. we saw her like crying in the last dream sequence of the council, she's here. She's still mourning Jason. I think she even is like covered in a veil. Mm-hmm. And Apollo has a moment where he's like, wait, am I like feeling bad for empathy? my stepmom? Like, mm-hmm. am I feeling empathy for Hera? At which point I also was like, am I feeling empathy for Hera? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was surprising. Weird inverse, but I was. He says, being Hera might not be so easy given who she was married to. In her place, I might have become a bit of an impossible meddler too. Rick really got me good with that. Rick was like, hey, Erica, you need to check your thoughts about women who are put in impossible situations <laughs> and how they use their wily skills of cunning historically to manipulate and um, change the tides of history. Yeah, real. <laughs> it worked on me. I think it's check-in time. Let's take a quick break and then we'll check in with the kids. All right. So first stop is to his house. We're not going to talk about that. That's a little boring. Mm -hmm. I like his house. (laughs) I love everything about these books. (laughs) He feeds horses. Genuinely, I don't think we need to elaborate. That is the extent to which we will talk about his house. And then we're going to go to Camp Aflon. First of all, we get this line about how he appears as Lester, which makes sense. He also refers to the possibility of maybe appearing in the form of one of the, quote, Bangtan boys, which uh, is deeply frightening and incredibly unsettling for so many reasons not the least of which is the fact that we've gotten to know him as lester and like now i really am like wow like is that yellow face what are the implications of that like i don't i don't want to think about this and i've been forced to think about it and that's annoying we talked to dionysus erica you think that there's a setup for another book here (laughs) oh fully yeah apollo looks at dionysus and says you will have your happy ending, brother. And that I was like, oh, yep, that's the that's the that's the thread. There we go. Mm-hmm. The story of Dionysus getting his own happy ending. Mm-hmm. And he also says, Apollo says that he has faith in our ability to write our own stories, regardless of what the fates allow us. Faith that you will find a way to make wine out of your sour grapes. I mean, like that's kind of a gimmicky line, but it's also like, yeah, I dig it. A maybe, maybe. <laughs> I love the next stop where he teleports into the grove of Dodonia to just guys mean girl the shit out of these bitchy so ass good. trees read them for filth he was the best of you i will tell Rhea, my grandmother that in my greatest need you sent the best of you and then he just <laughs> beefs it up seriously we read listeners in case you don't remember uh the grove of Dodonia hated the era of the Dodonia. they thought that they were uh annoying and unhelpful and that's why they kicked him out to go with apollo so apollo just rolls up to honor their friend may he rest in pieces mm-hmm. very good you have to keep going us period <laughs> should we set up the sun and the star can you set up the sun and the star for me carter all right we're gonna do a reading from page uh 375 will side i'd love to think you're suggesting a date night in paris mr dark lord but you're still thinking about tartarus aren't you hoping for some prophetic guidance Nico shrugged. Unfinished business. I frowned. 
It seemed like so long ago they had mentioned this to me, Nico's compulsion to explore the depths of Tartarus, the voice he heard, calling for help. I didn't want to open fresh wounds, but I asked as gently as I could, you're sure it's not Jason? Nico picked at his blackened marshmallow. I won't lie. I've wondered about that. I thought about trying to find Jason, but no, this isn't about him. He snuggled a little closer to Will. I have a sense that Jason made his choice. I wouldn't be honoring his sacrifice if I tried to undo it. With Hazel, she was just drifting in Asphodel. I could tell she wasn't supposed to be there. She needed to come back. With Jason, I have a feeling he's more better now. Like Elysium, I wondered? Rebirth? I was hoping you could tell me, Nico admitted. I shook my head. I'm afraid I'm clueless with after-death matters. But if it's not Jason you're thinking about... Nico twirled his s'more stick. When I was in Tartarus the first time, somebody helped me, and I... We left him down there. I can't stop thinking about him. Should I be jealous? Will asked. He's a titan, dummy, Nico said. I sat up straight. A titan? Long story, Nico said. But he's not a bad guy. He's... Well, I feel like I should look for him. See if I can figure out what happened. He might need my help. I don't like it when people are overlooked. He basically just elaborates to say, then he like went to find the Trogs because Hades doesn't want him to do this and he needs a way to Tartarus. Rachel gives a prophecy that we don't get to Rachel hear. Rachel gives a prophecy that we don't get to hear. Isn't Rick mm-hmm. so... Very angry He's so funny. That. He's like Apollo passes out, the basically. Audacity. I miss getting the next <laughs> prophecy in the previous book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know. I guess this was his way of being like, maybe I have plausible deniability that we're going to do a Will and Nico book because Apollo does not hear the prophecy, even though we all know it happens realistically i feel like it just means that he maybe had not secured his co-author yet and didn't want to be Mm -hmm. making any pronouncements about the outline of the book that makes the most sense i think probably i I would definitely believe that and with that we're off to the way station oh god we're going to indianapolis (laughs) we're visiting the hunters which now includes reyna and she's very well adjusted they're doing great they're hunting a new fox second egg you visit joe and emmy as well as their little daughter. Our moms, Joe and Emmy, they're doing well. Mm-hmm. Leo is here. I love that something I learned is that no one likes Kaleo. Like, <laughs> rarely can you find someone who ships. Okay, DJ, I'm. it's good to see you. I Present see you. I recognize you. I suppose. <laughs> I like Kaleo on the island because I felt that there was an interesting connection between these two characters that was not going to last once you took them out of this high stakes impossible situation and made them be like but what if you were normal teens and i respect and that's what they're working that through that is what they're working or through. are they working through it they are working they're, through. oh they're broke up they're definitely broke Leo's up. perspective is that they're working through it we do not ever hear from calypso what she thinks I guess we owe the listeners a little bit of an update on Kaleo. (laughs) She's going to band camp. Leo is still super in love with her. I mean, Mm -hmm. like me, just like my personal diagnosis of the situation, like, you know, as a third party is that Calypso is simply not into him anymore. Mm -hmm. um, And he is going to figure that out at some point. We don't know that we did not see Calypso. We didn't know. Again, just my personal interpretation. Also weird. That's my take as well, though. I would be like, Leo, maybe it's time to meet some other people. Yeah, but worth noting that Leo's not just super into her. He really takes it on faith that they're working through things and that it's not he he does not seem to seriously consider the possibility that he's not over her. And that really well, bothers it, me. Like, mm-hmm. even if they do get back together, I feel like he needs to know the fear of God in his heart as, like, mm-hmm. a first principles good thing. But also, I guess we don't have all the evidence, but at the end of mm-hmm. at the end of Dark Prophecy, I would not have taken it on faith that they would have ended up back together. I think it's weird that he does. Well, here's the thing. We've got Reyna, who, again, my girl, also Ace Arrow Queen, out here being the gargoyles from Hunchback of Notre Dame, telling Leo, oh, don't worry, Calypso will come around. 
Reina, you don't get to give other people relationship advice. I'm sorry. <laughs> you can you can make Leo ship up because you're right. He didn't have moms. He didn't have a big sister. You can help this boy shape up. Drink that respect women juice. You should not be giving him relationship advice. My I absolutely believe that if Calypso had put out, we are done, we're through, we're not getting back together, Reyna would not be filling Leo's heads with hopes and lies. No, I think we're on a break. Yeah, we're like, quote unquote, on a break. I think that like Calypso is not somebody who has like a healthy communication style. Mm-hmm. I doubt that she has actually been honest about what she wants. Because I do think Reyna giving, like, she'll come around is kind of, like, out of character. And I also agree that's shady of her because, like, Reyna should know. But also Reyna couldn't possibly know. She doesn't know anything about relationships. No, that's, that's, like, that's, her what character. that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. I think she's just being supportive. But at the same time, in my head, I totally just read that scene as Reyna being, like, a foot taller than Leo, like, patting him on the back and being, like, yeah, no, she'll come around. And then like looking over at Apollo and like with wide eyes and like blinking four times and being like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. It's weird that we don't see Calypso again. That Apollo, yeah, who can be everywhere strange. all at once, doesn't hop over to band camp and be like, hey, Calypso just wanted to check in as a fellow. I got my immortality back. I know you're not going to have Yeah. Are we friends? They're I guess not she just doesn't respect her as a person. Um. (laughs) Apollo, with his history of leaning and fainting into the arms of young men, should stay the hell away from band camp. He is banned banned. from band camp. (laughs) Yeah. Good. Excellent. Um, Camp Jupiter. Camp Jupiter. Camp Jupiter. We're going to see Frank and Hazel. Frank and Hazel are doing well. They're kind of regular. The one update that was a little bit weird is that Hazel's, she can still summon the metals from the earth. But now it's not a curse. It's just purely a power. How do we all feel about this? I'm into it. It's. It felt like it was a nice quick rug sweep of the curse. But yeah, all yeah. of these curses just kind of got. He didn't know how to. He didn't know how to end any of them. Yeah. I liked the burning maze explanation that like both of their curses, Hazel and Frank's, were kind of ended by being like loving, open, vulnerable people. I thought that was kind of beautiful. Oh no! Yeah, <laughs> that like they could like unmark themselves from this trauma of their lifeline and of their parenthood by like finding love through friendship and partnership which they could only find by being vulnerable open people that works for me uh what doesn't work for me is frank's parader cape being all magical and shit and like being the shield like rick ryan forgot that (laughs) reyna's was like that because it was a blessing from two goddesses but okay yeah (laughs) from two war goddesses like who are saving her from like history's worst and most chronic and evil violent um like destroyer women um Yeah. yeah yeah men get everything yeah. <laughs> my headcanon is that like Mars saw that's bullshit. Let me do that for my son. Yeah, I totally yeah. yeah. Mars was like, oh, I can do like, that. Oh uh, now hold on a second, Bologna. And this one will be made of Caucasian human skin. So what about that? <laughs> <laughs> Mars isn't the Caucasian that's Aries, okay? Mars is a little more civilized in his modern warfare. Oh yeah, Mars is like this Ares. one will be made out of pages from The Art of War. So exactly. what about that? Oh my god. Oh. Okay, here's what I, here's my thing. I think Bologna is the one that gave it to Frank because if Frank had died in that explosion, Reyna didn't get to go to the Hunters of Artemis. She wouldn't have let herself go. No. Very true. <sighs> I guess. Yeah. Bologna did it for her daughter. If we have to find an explanation that that works for me as well as anything else. Um, uh, more importantly perhaps, we Catch up with Percy and Annabeth. Oh my god. We're gonna read it's not that long. I'm just gonna should we just read the whole thing? I kinda wanna read the whole thing. 
Do it, do it, do it. What did surprise me? Percy Jackson and Annabeth Chase had arrived and taken up residence in New Rome, giving them two months to adjust to their new environs before the fall semester of their freshman year in college. Architecture, Annabeth said, her gray eyes as bright as her mother's. She said the word architecture as if it were the answer to all the world's problems. I'm going to focus on environmental design at UC Berkeley while dual enrolling at New Rome University. By year three, I figure, whoa there, wise girl, Percy said. First, you have to help me get through freshman English and math and history. Annabeth smiled up the empty dorm room. Yeah, seaweed brain. I know. We'll take the basics together. But you will do your own homework. Man, Percy said, looking at me for commiseration. Homework. I was pleased to see them doing so well, but I agreed with him about the homework. God's never got it. We didn't want it. We just assigned it in the form of deadly quests. And your major? I asked him. Yeah, uh, marine biology? Aquaculture? I don't know. I'll figure it out. You're both staying <laughs> here? At the bunk beds. New Rome University, it may have been a college for demigods, but its dorm rooms were as basic and uninspired as any other universities. No. Annabeth sounded offended. Have you seen the way this guy throws his dirty clothes around? Gross. Besides, dorms are required for all freshmen, and they aren't co-ed. My roommate probably won't arrive till September. Yeah, Percy sighed. Meanwhile, I'll be all the way across campus in the empty boys' dormitory, two whole blocks away. Annabeth swatted his arm. Besides, Apollo, our living arrangements are none of your business. I held up my hands in surrender. But you didn't travel across the country together to get here. With Grover, Percy said. It was great, just the three of us again. But man, that road trip kind of went sideways, Annabeth agreed. And up and down and diagonal, but we made it here alive. I nodded. This was, after all, the most that could be said for any demigod trip. I thought about my own trip from Los Angeles to Camp Jupiter, escorting the coffin of Jason Grace. Percy and Annabeth both seemed to read my thoughts. Despite the happy days ahead of them and the general spirit of optimism at Camp Jupiter, sadness still lingered, hovering and flickering at the corners of my vision like one of the camp's lairs. Laries? We found out when we arrived, Percy said. I still can't, his voice caught. He looked down and picked at his palm. I cried myself sick, Annabeth admitted. I still wish, I wish I'd been there for Piper. I hope she's doing okay. Piper is a tough young lady, I said. But yes, Jason, he was the best of us. No one argued with that. By the way, I said, your mother's doing well, Percy. I just saw her and Paul. Your little sister is entirely too adorable. She never stops laughing. He brightened. I know, right? The cell's awesome. I just miss my mom's baking. I might be able to help with that. As I had promised Sally Jackson, I teleported a plate of her fresh-baked blue cookies straight into my hands. Aww. Dude, Percy stuffed a cookie in his mouth. His eyes rolled up in ecstasy. Apollo, you're the best. I take back everything I've said about you. It's quite all right, I assured him. Wait. What do you mean, almost? Very oh strong. Oh my gosh. Very good. So, so much threads to on say. threads on threads. Very much so. Yes. Could I give a quick shout out to the 2020 when this book came out and it was kind of like peak, like start of Percy Jackson TikTok. There was this guy who his username at the time, at least was at exit underscore stage underscore up. I just found it for reference, who was doing this like Percy Jackson's college roommate shtick after it was confirmed <laughs> that like... <laughs> They were going to regular college, basically, and, like, uh -huh. him and Annabeth were going to live together. And so it's just him, like, showing up and being like, oh, another monster fighting today? Cool, dude. Like, regular cool mortal guy. <laughs> and those videos just brought me so much joy in 2020. Nice. That's very good. It's so important to me when I was reading this, knowing that Annabeth was dual enrolling. I know. I just know that New Rome does not have enough people that she is able to be intellectually fulfilled with all the people who, you know, like she needs to be a classroom full of other people who can think well and will be specifically will think well in the specialized fields that she's interested in. And that's not something that you can achieve if there's like 30 students at the college, you know, and I'm mm -hmm. glad that she's not having that experience. And, you know, um, Cal, Go Bears, etc. Good for her. Okay, uh, Erica Carter, <laughs> we uh, formally request no more than 90 seconds to go off <laughs> 
on one Grover Underwood for the absolute bullshittery he has pulled here today. Yo, Grover sucks. Oh my god, you guys hate Grover. Wait, what? I hate Grover now. So let's talk about the characters that we had in uh, Burning Maze. Was Grover there, DJ? Grover was there. And what notably happened in, in the Burning Maze, DJ? <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. We lost our boy JG, bro. And then who who do we have confirmed was aware about Jason's death when he mentioned it to Apollo at a conversation in which he mentioned returning to Camp Half-Blood? Who was that, DJ? <laughs> Grover Underwood. And who who just spent a long road trip from New York to California with one Percy Jackson and Annabeth Chase? That is a like car. a four to five day road trip if you're driving mm-hmm. nonstop. And hey, guess what? That's Grover Underwood. And when did Percy and Annabeth say they discovered Jason? When they arrived. We rest our case. Grover Underwood is a monster. Dude, Grover didn't tell them. Sat there in the car. Sat there in the car. Did not say anything about Jason Posed a goofy picture in the photo for Sally Jack. Said nothing. Acting like nothing is wrong. I don't care what you say. If my buddy's friend died and I knew it, he didn't. I'm telling it to him. This is so Grover. This is so. Fuck this off. tracks in line with everything he has ever done. He is an avoider. He wants to just prioritize everybody, like you know, being okay. Um, he's going to gaslight Percy. We know that. Is Percy? Um, <laughs> is this Rick Riordan forgetting that Grover knew that Jason died and wanting to put our trio in one fun? I think it's Rick Riordan forgetting. It's absolutely Rick forgetting. Yeah, one hundred percent. Like actually, unfortunately, you can't just meta erase it. But also. I- I think there is i think erica is right and that there is absolutely an in-universe explanation and it's that grover is conflict averse and would be like oh i just did not know jason i did not feel comfortable having that conversation here's the thing. i'm pretty <laughs> conflict averse but if i know something's inevitable i will confront it if i know that percy's going to find out anyway it might as well be from his best friend yeah like i do not agree with the fact that he drove Five, four to five days with them in a fucking car in the back seat, not mm-hmm. saying Probably anything, longer. knowing this information is about to come out. My boy did not want to ruin the road trip. <laughs> he said, we picked the playlist already. I also <laughs> feel that like Grover is conflict averse, but he has at this point so much experience in having difficult conversations. Like how many other dryads did he have to go back to and say such and such has passed? due to the burning maze, due to the like environmental stuff. Like he's had to have these hard conversations. Like it is obviously just an oversight on Rick Riordan's part. However, 100%. it is horrifying. It's uh, maybe, being... maybe it's like when we arrived at Grover's house to pick him up for the road trip. Um, and then they forgot to include that part of the sentence. It wasn't. They said <laughs> when we found out when we arrived at New Rome. Mm-hmm. That's what they said. No, they didn't say when we arrived at New Rome. They said we found out when we arrived. And maybe no. Percy forgot to finish. What do you think that means? What do you think that means, bro? I mean, there's an obvious correct conclusion, but I think that there is a way for him to backpedal this. I think we'll see if some he wants... incredible backpedaling. Listen, because like probably he's going to write the book, right? Oh, he's yeah, yeah. He's going to come back to the trio. He is going to write the road trip book and he is absolutely yeah. going to figure out a way to backpedal this. It's wild that Chalice of the Gods is not the road trip book. Like how are we just doubling back like, Eight months to do Chalice of the Gods and not. I don't just even the understand Chalice of the Gods to begin with because Percy was the braider, dude. Why does he need does he five god recommendations? I have one more theory about Grover not telling them, and it's Please. because he was jealous 
<laughs> jealous of Jason. Jealous that of makes him way worse. Rover was the first person who Percy called bro. And then yeah. Jason and Percy were just getting a little too bro-y. That puts another tick in Grover sucks for me. <laughs> but I, I, I think uh, Eric is right. I agree with this. A, he was jealous, and B, he already made the road trip playlist, so the vibes had to be curated. (laughs) (laughs) We could literally talk about Annabeth and Percy for 20 more minutes, but we have one extremely important stop to go to. Annabeth mentions it too. Annabeth is like, oh my God, Jason died, and I really think that I should have talked to Piper about it. I hope she's doing okay. (laughs) And then cut directly to Piper. Are we reading this too? My girl. I think we have to. Okay, we're going to read the whole beginning of chapter 39. 210 is a lot of haiku, but I can do more if insert the sound of a god being strangled here. Classic. (laughs) That's my favorite one. Speaking of Piper McLean, I embarrassed myself when I popped in to visit her. It was a lovely summer night in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. The stars were out by the millionth and cicadas churred in the trees. Heat settled over the rolling hills. Fireflies glowed in the grass. I had willed myself to appear wherever Piper McLean might be. I ended up standing on the flat roof of a modest farmhouse, the McLean ancestral home. At the edge of the roof, two people sat shoulder to shoulder, dark silhouettes facing away from me. One leaned over and kissed the other. I didn't mean to, but I was so flustered. I flashed like a camera light, inadvertently changing from lesser to my adult Apollo form. Toga, blonde hair, muscles and all. The two lovebirds turned to face me. Piper McLean was on the left. On the right sat another young lady with short dark hair and a rhinestone nose stud that winked in the darkness. Piper unlaced her fingers from the other girls. Wow, Apollo, timing. Er, sorry, I... Who's this? The other girl asked, taking in my bedsheet clothing. Your dad is a boyfriend? I suppressed a yelp. Since Piper's dad was Tristan McLean, former A-list heartthrob of Hollywood, I was tempted to say, not yet, but I'm willing to volunteer. Shut up, Apollo. I didn't think Piper would appreciate that, though. Old family friend, Piper said. Sorry, Shell, would you excuse me a sec? Should we keep reading? I think that's maybe the right that's place perfect. to perfect. <laughs> we don't need his approval, but Jason would be so happy for Piper. Genuinely, I believe. I was like, Piper, you're you're happy, then I'm happy, man. If you're gay, then I'm gay, man. <laughs> I <laughs> gay really is enjoy this description. When yep. it's not just that Piper is dating a girl, it is a girl with, let's read again, short dark hair and a rhinestone stud. Because fuck, yes, she has a rhinestone stud. Absolutely. Good for, yeah. Piper, I knew, as much as I knew this was coming, it still had me on the floor just praising the Lord <laughs> Jesus of the Riot Inverse of Madness for giving my girl a happy ending. Mm-hmm. And this is something I realized, and I had to text Carter, and I was like, wait a second, we're on the roof. Piper's been on the roof before, <gasps> many a time. That is true. Piper was on the roof in her imaginary fake ass memories with Jason. And that became like a little thing for them where they were like, what if we, Jason was like, how about we actually recreate those memories on the roof that never happened. And so then they went up on the roof and they had like a little date. And then when they thought that Leo was dead, they went back up on the roof and they spent all night staying up and talking about Leo and sharing memories about him. And now where is Jason? Dead in a ditch. Where's Piper? On the roof. Where's Jason in Elysium? Yeah. This is is where we find out that the roof was not Jason's move. It's in fact Piper's move. 
Exactly. The roof was Piper's move. DJ, exactly. The roof, it was Piper's move all along. I feel like that was always canon. Like, even in Piper's fake memory, she was like, I was conniving. I set this shit up. <laughs> um. That sounds right. I haven't rewrite him in a hot sec, but yeah, it's very yeah. good. Oh, to be on a roof with Piper McLean. Oh, Just please. I think this is more threads. I would also like a book with a right co-author to do Piper's story in Oklahoma. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Yes. And it's not just that Piper's dating, let's be clear. Piper seems well. Like, they have a follow-up yes, conversation in which she is clearly well-adjusted. She is in the process of going, working through things, but she's in a good place. She's making progress. She knows who she is. Mm-hmm. That's very important. It was important to me that we were just like, that Rick was not just like, this is like a shock reveal that even though it's very important and we all knew it was coming, that just get dropped here without context. There is context. Piper's yeah. doing great. And that brings us to Meg. Oh, Meg. Oh, Meg. This makes me so happy to see. I love Meg. Meg is at her dad's house. She still has the Melly Eye, her, um, you know, sickening, gigantic tree servants, warriors. Um, Meg's doing good. She's a little sunburned, but she's she's doing good. Yeah, she's... <laughs> Teaching her traumatized foster siblings the value of gardening as a form of therapy. Uh, Cassius is here. Yes, Cassius is here. Lou is here. Lou also who is adjusting. And we also didn't say where here is. We're at this. You might be able to deduce this from what we said about the, the tree servants, which are place based. But Meg is back in her childhood home that her dad built with a specific purpose of being like a really sickening greenhouse that would Mm -hmm. you know bring forth trees that the world has like not seen for millennia or whatever and so she's doing that she's she's starting her own shit taking care of her siblings setting a good example gardening and it looks like they're doing well hey is is cassius a demeter kid i think probably no my my guess was that the Ah, I guess it can't be true. The, like, probably, like, Nero had 12 kids, right? And so he was trying to replicate the demigods. But I guess it's not, like, one for one, because obviously none of them were kids of Hera or Artemis or probably Zeus or Poseidon either. But Yeah. yeah. It's just because he, he was the one that was picked, and the, the rings are specifically, they have symbols of Demeter on them. So that's And he seems to be doing really well, and he's, like, hmm. really engaging positively with the, the baby cactus, I think is what they're working with. I was just wondering. Yeah, I guess it's Maybe possible. Persephone. Yeah. I don't think it's allowed, but wouldn't that be nice yeah. <laughs> for a change? He shows up and he's like, I'm going to give you a gift, Meg. I told you I would. And she's like, I don't want anything. And she pauses and she goes, actually, I want a unicorn. And so he gives her a unicorn. <laughs> he's like, oh, I remember I promised you a gift, but I feel like that would, uh, and she starts to speak. He's like, oh, I understand that would like undermine our relationship and that's not what we're about. But if you ever need anything, I will always be there for you. And she's like, actually, I would not say no to a unicorn. And so he gets her a unicorn. <laughs> And shall I read these last lines that we thought at the time were the last words Rick was going to write Please. in universe? Yeah. I absolutely knew <laughs> he was going to write more. <laughs> the, there were too many plot threads open. And I'm like, this is not his last book. But it's such a moving passage anyway. Oh, 100%. Page 395. I don't recall what else we talked about. The piano lessons I had promised her. Different varieties of succulents. The care and feeding of unicorns. I was just happy to be with her. At last, as the sun went down, Meg seemed to understand it was time for me to leave. You'll come back, she asked. Always, I promised. The sun always comes back. So, dear reader, 
We have come to the end of my trials. You have followed me through five volumes of adventures and six months of pain and suffering. By my reckoning, you have read 210 of my haiku. Like Meg, you surely deserve a reward. What would you accept? I am fresh out of unicorns. However, anytime you take aim and prepare to fire your best shot, anytime you seek to put your emotions into song or poem, know that I am smiling on you. We are friends now. Call on me. I will be there for you. Very strong last words. Got me. It gets me every time. Okay. I literally wrote, okay. (laughs) I love the idea that as the sun is setting, Meg like knows in her heart that Apollo has to leave. Mm -hmm. It's very good. I like it a lot. It's beautiful. She's grown up so much, Meg. She's grown up too much in the last six months. Would I like it more if Apollo like stayed Lester and went to live with Meg? Yes. But- that's okay. <laughs> Would the series as a whole been stronger if it was told between Apollo and Meg's point of views? If we got in Meg's head more often? No. I'd, yeah, I, I, th- I don't think it would have been the same. I think that it would have lost the component of how we know Meg, which yeah. is that we can only know her through Apollo's perspective. Yeah. I think transitioning between those two points of view would be like oh too jarring jarring yeah. <laughs> no it's it'd be point. like going between kaz and jesper in six of crows which is incredibly jarring <laughs> Oop. well homies who are listening we have been recording for three hours straight <laughs> my cat's screaming at me outside he's it's it's dinner time he's mad so next week Friday. We will be doing a live virtual show. If you haven't seen it on our social media, it's happening Friday, April 7th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can follow the link in our show description to RSVP. It is free, donation-based. We hope to see you there. There will be audience participation, trivia, all of the above. It's going to be a very good time. Lots of special guests. And after that, we'll be talking about the Son of the Star. That's going to be so fun. I'm so excited to hear y'all talk about it. It's my highlight of my week when new episodes drop. Darian, tell the people where they can find Muses of Mythology. Oh my gosh. I actually promised DJ that he could do it this time. DJ, (laughs) tell us. So you can find us on Twitter at Muses of Mythology and on Instagram at Muses of Myth. Yes. As well as any podcatchers that you may have, Spotify, Apple at just Muses of Mythology. We're very excited to see you guys there. Yeah, come listen to us too. We're fun. Yeah. Woohoo! Go listen. Hey, everybody. If you, like, if you like Frank, Jason, or Leo, our podcast is for you. Big fan of those guys. <laughs> That's good. We will see y'all next Friday, April 7th, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. All right. Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye. Bye.